This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Shirts for the Scene. Head over to thepopcoproject.com and you can purchase your favorite band tee. We are raising money for the local artist in northeastern Pennsylvania whose income was drastically affected by COVID-19 since the world shut down all the way back in March of last year. Hard to believe we've been going through this for almost a year now, but that's why this fundraiser is so important. Artists and musicians' income has been next to nothing. And by buying a t-shirt on the online store, your purchase will directly have an impact as the proceeds go to the band whose shirt you are buying. There are over 100 bands, artists, and venues to choose from, but the store will be closing at the end of March. So go to thepopgoproject.com and purchase your shirt today. That's thepopgoproject.com and click the link for Shirts for the Scene. And Shirts for the Scene is made possible by Axel Rad Screen Printing in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Visit them online at axelradarmy.com. My guest today was the frontman of the metal band Syphilis, later known as Spitcan. They were extremely popular in northeastern Pennsylvania and even caught the ears of some record labels. Unfortunately, their goal to make it mainstream never quite came to fruition, but he wouldn't want it any other way. He is currently the owner and master craftsman at Duval Leatherwork in Kingston, Pennsylvania, where he specializes in prototyping and manufacturing finished leather goods for wholesale and retail sales. It was really cool getting to speak with Nick on this kind of level. I knew him as a musician, and although I knew he opened Duval Leather in 2005, it was interesting to hear him speak about how and why he started the business and how he wants to make a difference, not only in the community of Northeastern Pennsylvania, but also as a business owner to his employees. Welcome to the show, Nick Duval. And we're live. Hanging out with Nick Duval. What's up, buddy? Johnny, how are you? It's been a while since I've seen you. It's great to see you, man. It's been a long time. Probably two, two, three, maybe three years. I mean, maybe not that long, but it's been a while. I mean, it's been a long, it's been probably over 10 years since you and I have like talked like at length. So I'm really excited to be doing this. Uh, Nick Duvall um, was once the front man of a band called Syphilis. Uh, They changed the name to Spitcan. And currently he is the uh, owner of Duval Leatherwork in yep. Kingston, Pennsylvania. So Nick is very busy, uh, but I wanted to talk to you about a few different things. Absolutely. Um, we'll start with the music. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you've done, you know seen any of these, but a lot of them focus on music. Um, I'm trying to keep um, 80% music focused and then the rest kind of, you know, whether they're, business owners or different artists, whether they're barbers or, um, you know, tattoo artists, things like that. But you kind of cover two spectrums. You, you know, the band that you're in with Spitcan and Syphilis, and then you're the uh, business owner and uh, all that. So I met you when you were in the band Syphilis. Should we call it Syphilis or should we call it Spitcan? What, what, what should we no, do? No, we should call it Syphilis because only Spitcan was only the, um, the brainchild of trying to push the band forward in a commercial setting so that we could um, 
expand to actually make it a financial endeavor. Okay. Name um, was just a part of the situation. So it's always the music. It's always the thing. Band names are silly anyway. So um, the first name was, was silly. The second name was silly. It, it doesn't matter what a band, band names are always silly. Yeah. What the music is, is what it's all about. So. Sure. So we'll go with syphilis. When did that band start? Um, let's see. I believe we played our first show. It would have to be around 2001. So um, I had been in several other bands and uh, Germ, a.k.a. Jared Peterman, was the uh, a guitar player that I knew from just being in school and, and college and things. And uh, uh, we started a band and... Um, you know, we auditioned some people and we did this and we did that. And, uh, we had a lineup and, uh, we played our first show and then we played our second show and then we played our third show. And I mean, it just took off from there. Everybody was always like, Oh, you'll never play anywhere with this, that name. It's offensive, blah, blah, blah. You know, I was young and stupid and whatever, but to me, rock and roll or heavy metal is always about pushing the limits, offensiveness. I mean, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, which is unbelievably lacking in rock and roll music. It doesn't even exist, which may be why no one even gives a shit about rock and roll hardly anymore. You know, it's worth one song and then you're like, all right, there's 10 more on the album. It's like, uh, I'll just go to the next band and the next band and the next band. So I don't know, maybe that had something to do with it, but that was, um, that's where the naming and, all those things came from. And uh, it was always just about the music period. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you guys had a, definitely an aggressive style, but like back then in 2001 or so, I mean, that wasn't, you know, uncommon. Correct. Yeah. I mean, aggressive music was always something that was, um, you know, there was, it was, there was no, um, no lack of it. It just seemed like there was just band after band and tour after tour and, festival after festival and it was the uh you know it was the end thing and it's just not so much now and um um uh you know i'm I'm glad we did what we did when we did it yeah so at one point your one of your bass players was ed Mm -hmm. was he your first bass player we had two eds the first Ed was yeah was our first bass player was named Ed, the second bass player was named Ed. So we we called him Deuce. He was Deuce. the second. <laughs> yes, he was Deuce. the second Deuce. bass player. Yep, Deuce is um, the one. So <laughs> so I I moved into an apartment complex in Kingston in two thousand late two thousand two. Okay, and I was twenty years old. Um, and there was a gentleman that lived right below me in, in the uh, the complex, and it mm-hmm. was Deuce. <laughs> nice <laughs> and i had no idea that at the time like i was in 2002 i had not even interned at the weekender yet mm-hmm. um but that was a great it was a great uh apartment complex um it was weird how it worked out because uh keystone light would appear on my like the outside <laughs> of my doorstep i don't know who put it there but I, I mean i was underage so i wasn't buying it and i don't i don't know who would have done that for me yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a great place. It was just, it was funny because I, I wasn't even 21 yet. So I couldn't even like come see you guys play. 
great neighbors leaving you beer in, in the middle of the night, right? I don't. I, I didn't say it was him. I didn't say it was him. I don't know who it was. <laughs> it could have been my mother, for all I know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting how that worked out because, like, I think he had moved out. Um. Shortly after I was there, yeah, you know what? He definitely did. It was like six months he moved out after I was there. Maybe I was a terrible uh, neighbor. And um, it was funny because I, I didn't, I wasn't introduced to you guys until probably 04, 05. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember you guys playing. I'm like, holy shit, that I used to live above that guy. <laughs> so he was our third bass player. I mean, for some reason, that was something that we rifled through often were bass players. Yeah. Um, we had had two different drummers and then, uh, we really went through the bass players for some reason. And, uh, eventually we, um, you know, uh, deuce fit the, fit the need. And, and, you know, we went from there, you know, again, those times were much different than they are now. I mean, I, I couldn't even, we, we, a band like us wouldn't even exist in a world like this. We have nowhere to play. Um, a fan base is, so wishy-washy i mean i i really truly feel bad if you're not a set musician unless you're a dj or any of those kind of things which i a little bit over my head i don't quite understand those things i mean i i know what they are but i don't understand how they they gain momentum and following but um yeah thankfully we we hit the we hit the peak at just the right time that you know, we were able to do something exciting for ourselves and, and, and for our fans and the people that we did. And, um, you know, we never took it beyond, um, to a professional level. And in some regards, I'm actually glad that we never did because I never, I never had to deal with that loss. Like it was always something we, uh, strived for was to be able to become professional musicians, touring musicians and play and put out albums and, ride the career of what that is and live our lives. And we never got to that point. And uh, as a 42 year old man, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that we never did. Um, it, right. It's better off that way. Yeah. So, and, and we'll get to what you're up to now. Um, but I mean, you guys did some great things and you had a cult following for sure. I mean, this area loved you guys. Yep. Um, but talk about like, you were syphilis. I know you mentioned earlier. You know, you changed the name to kind of be more commercial and kind of take you know get to the next level. Um, tell me how and where Josh Rosenblatt kind of came into the picture. Sure. So uh, Josh came into our world probably around two thousand, maybe seven or eight, um, to work with us on a managerial level. Uh, we had no guidance in that kind of respect. We we all have pretty good heads on our shoulders, but it was nice to have someone who was a little bit um, tightening up the seams and putting us in the right places to play in front of the right people and do the right things. Um, so uh, Josh entered the scene. Um, we played some, uh, we, we actually, we came up with some very clever marketing. Um, we really started to push uh, album sales and figuring out those things through the gallery of sound and all those old names of places. And, um, and uh, it started to work for us and we had some label interest and we would send packets off and this and that. And one of the challenges was the name thing. It just constantly came back to bite us. And with Josh, it was a part of the, the, the process is that we, we need to, to change the name. 
Um, if we, if we want to pursue this as professional musicians, then we need to, um, to do that because it was a slightly a bit too much, um, too aggressive, too provocative, too whatever, um, for that time or whatever. But, um, we did eventually change the name. We put out, I believe one album, it was kind of a, a mix of everything and, um, and some new things and released it in, um, not so much to be commercial, just more to be able to be appealing to a record label to sign a deal and, and, and put out an album and tour on it. And again, those kind of things just never quite happened. And the economic downturn of 2006, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. I mean, those things just put the freaking nail in the coffin of touring and and the iPhones and and the, the ability of people to get music and share music and it just it just spiraled out of control to what it is today and again as a 42 year old man who you know I, I keep up with stuff but there's no there's no um sacred ground on music anymore it's one song and move to the next band and the next thing and the next Doritos commercial. I mean, it's just like, it's just, it's, uh, it's it's, yeah, it's just an art form. That's just movies are going to movie television, movie. I mean, even that stuff, it's hit. It's, you know, everything's fake. Everything's CGI. Everything's just, you know, there's very few things in, in creative art that are actually like real tangible things. You know, music used to be something like that. I'm sure there is. There's still some pretty cool bands out there that play, and there's still some people that are genuine to what they do. Um, you know, I, I still hear stuff that comes out that's really, really awesome. But then you got coronavirus, and it's like, well, how do you how do you tour, make money, where you can't even gather to – you can't even sit at a bar <laughs> to eat pizza. Like, you can't yeah. do anything. And how are you going to commingle 10,000 people in a place uh, to play a show? And even if coronavirus does go away, uh, I'm not going to subject myself to being around 10,000 people. So I'm not sure how they're ever going to recover from those kind of things. I mean, maybe one day they will, but I don't see that anytime soon. Not anytime soon. I mean, it, you know, it's weird. They say it takes 21 days to make a habit or yeah. form a habit. And we've been doing this for almost 365 days. And, um, you know, people people, you know, we do things and we, that's what we do. Like, that's like, we don't like change. No one likes change. Right. So it's like, this is the change and we've, we've adapted and we're doing what we have to do. And yeah. it's going to, it's going to be really weird moving forward. It will be. You know, music is a very social thing too. It's enjoyed by a group of people. Uh, it can be enjoyed at home. It can be enjoyed by yourself, but the a live concert venue, I mean, that, that is about, the commingling of people in a place that enjoy and want to be a part of something. And if you can't do that because of some type of disease or virus or, or government regulations or something, the longer that goes on, the further you've been from the habit of commingling with people. And when you are able to do it, you're like, I don't need to do that anymore. I can just watch it on YouTube. You yeah. Know? And that could be something that's very realistic that a lot of, touring musicians have to deal with yeah i mean i don't even see things you know getting back to you know half normal this year i mean it's, it's going to be i think people are still scared even you know even with the vaccine i mean 
know, I don't know where you stand with, with that or how you feel or whatever. It's not really important, but I mean, even yeah. people that kept the vaccine, it's still like, if it's, that's like a safety net and it's still like the, they're still going to refrain from doing things, I think. Absolutely. So, and, and, you know, music is one of those things that's just front and center. I mean, again, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't label one other thing that draws that maybe a sporting event that draws that many people together, Yeah, you know, for, for, you know, an event. One, one thing, um, we're talking about venues. Uh, if it weren't for you guys, I probably would never have <laughs> been able to be in CBGBs in New York city. Yes. So I think it doesn't exist anymore. I don't believe. Right. Right. Exactly. So that, that's what I'm saying. So I think it was 2006. I, I think it's 2006. I want to say 2006. Could be. Yeah. It had a, either 2006 or early 2007, like spring of 07. I think it was 06 though, but we ran a bus trip with the weekender. Yep. I know Josh Rosenblatt was involved with that too. Yep. We did a fan bus trip uh, to CBGBs with syphilis, which was uh, a shit show. <laughs> not your, not your, your show wasn't shit. Just the, the the bus ride there with the booze and the hanging out. And I actually ran into a uh, Elijah Wood. I ran into Elijah Wood. At, at, I don't know if it was like a, a bar or what it was. And to this day, I still bust Tom Bonomo because uh, I think you guys had him as like your photographer. Because yeah, yep. At the time, he was definitely taking pictures of us. Yeah, and he was he actually worked for. I think electric city at the time. So that was weird. You had the weekend already mm-hmm. had the, the EC photographer, but so Tom took a photo of me and Elijah Wood, and he can't find it. <laughs> yeah. Of all the millions of pictures he's taken, he can't find the one that you want, right? The one that I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I believe he was at CBGB's cause uh, when we finished the show and we did whatever, and I remember coming back or, I don't know. For some reason I was there and I remember um, seeing him uh, in the club. It was after we had played, but uh, that was a, uh, that was a wonderful outing for, uh, for our fans and people from this area and uh, just the whole thing going together. I mean, you, you could never replicate that again. Like, first of all, you could never find a band that could, hold up and play in a place like that and then get enough people to fill multiple buses with to take there to play the show to do the thing i mean it was fantastic all the way around the, the press from the weekender and you guys us doing it i mean the fans paying for the but the fan paying for their tickets and everything i mean holy shit man i mean talk about you know even if it was a shit show the synergy of <laughs> everything coming together at the right time at the right place Again, a historic venue like that doesn't even exist now. I mean, I guess you could play the Trocadero maybe or something, but there's a few yeah. places, you know, like that left anymore. Yeah, it's crazy. Was that kind of like the, not the the last show for you guys, but was that kind of like, for you guys, was that kind of it? Like, was that like the coolest, most um, recognizable venue that you guys played? Yeah. Maybe the most recognizable. I mean, we we played some other places. We played, I mean, Trocadero was one I can think off the top of my head. And we played some other places in New York City. That, I mean, you know, some other memorable places. I can't 
can't think of the top of off the top of my head. I'm starting to get old. I know. Shit. Uh, but no, I mean, even pinnacle of stuff, like even when we did our own CD release of some shows and stuff, I mean, you know, selling out our own clubs and a couple thousand people. And, you know, that was, that was pretty legit playing with breaking Benjamin in front of some pretty big crowds. That was super legit. I mean, you know, top 200 billboard for two weeks when that was actually a thing, you know, that was, that was legit. I mean, so there were many, many things that happened, you know, after that, that were still oh, cool up there, but that was still a, uh, that was a unique venue. It was a kind of a dump, but oh, I, mean, yeah. oh, I, I was, uh, I was a little taken back as to how dumpy it was, but what the hell is that? Uh, that's pretty that's much, rock- I guess what I was expect- expecting. That's <laughs> rock and roll, man. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> very true. And New York city, <laughs> New York city and rock and roll all together in the same place. Poor New York city, man. I don't well, know, you know. I don't know if that place is going to come back. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. It's going to be a long it, time. If anything. It, yeah. It's scary. What's, what's going on out there. Well, we'll all get over it. It'll all end soon enough and, you know, we'll be back to normal. I hope. Of course. <laughs> Everything ends. Well, you know, it was cool. I was going through uh, some things. You guys did a reunion show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that was like eight years ago, right? No, it was 10. It was I 2011. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, so, you know, we didn't play for a while. Um, music had lost its luster for all of us in playing and the frustration of, of trying to get somewhere and not getting there, um, was extremely challenging. You know, as a business owner today, I only wish that I knew these kind of tactics of how to push a business forward. The business being the band syphilis began at the time, but I just, I just didn't understand the nuts and bolts of how to make money um and how to have a career and have how to um be a professional musician and it all lost its luster for us after a while i mean you know people can drag on and this and that germans started playing with some other bands um and we just all got tired you know and people started to have families and and my business started to take off even more and it just, uh, it just wasn't for us. So we took a little break for a while and, um, we're like, that's it. Let's do it. Let's play one last show. And, uh, we had still had our chops about us and we were still able to play. And, um, we weren't so far out of practice that we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And, uh, and we did it and, uh, it was a success. I mean, it was, it was a, a great show. I mean, the place, sold out beyond sold out we honestly could have played two nights in a row um which i don't think any local band (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe breaking benjamin could do something like that but i mean to play to have the possibility of playing two nights in a row sold out in the same club would be unheard of but we we did it man and uh it, it was awesome and uh the fans enjoyed it and when we quit we were done and that was it and you know we were approached about playing a show couple years ago and uh to open up for another uh um very well-known local band and uh we didn't have our chops about us 
we had been so far out of the 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 scene that we would have had to the effort it would have taken for us to get back on stage um was not worth the dollars and cents and the just just of playing the show right um, you know when you get in just like your yourself with your life and your job and your family and your things it's like when you have to disrupt disrupt that there has to be some type of compensation there has to be something that's going to be like okay i'm going to take time away from you know my children or my business or whatever it is to um to make that worth my time and it just didn't work out and honestly i'm glad it didn't so it's best to uh when you hang your hat up it's done you know yeah, you went out with a bang, so that's good. Yeah, I was that's there. The way it should be. That is yeah. the way it should be. You should go out with a bang, and then just be done with it. You know, so many, so many touring acts go out with a bang, and then for some reason, probably because they're poverty poverty stricken, they have to come back and do it again. And it's like, yeah. oh, come on, guys, you know. And then they suck or they make asses of themselves, and it's like, you know. But um, yeah, it didn't it didn't pan out for us. So I'm glad for that. You mentioned that, you know, had you known then what you know now as, as far as a business goes, what, what do you think you would have done differently? Um, a lot, you know, if you're going to become a professional at anything, it, it's, um, I don't care how many people think that, you know, I have, uh, on the other hand, even into my business, like I have made the dream of making your hobby into a business into a scalable business of reality and um same with music too like you could be a purist and think that all bands you know oh they just play great music so great things happen to them that is simply just not true you know there's a lot of business tactics that have to go into it marketing thought process borrowing of money paying to get on tours having the right producers work on your albums, having the right managerial people, the right entertainment lawyer. I mean, there's so many, so many details that are missed because you're not a business person. You're just a musician and you're young and your sex drive is more important sometimes than your financial drive or vice versa. And there's just things that you really miss out on that come later in life. You know, most touring musicians, more, most professional artists, um, you know, they might put out their best albums, the first one or two, but they never really develop as professional touring bands until slightly bit later in life. Um, drug use, alcohol abuse, you know, those things run rampant because they're young, dumb kids that never have any guidance. And that doesn't happen until they become slightly older, which is similar to business. So you say that, right? And I, and I appreciate that because um, the older you get, the wiser you get. You know, there's more experience. But I think musicians today, you know, they are more polished in the sense that they treat their bands as more of a business, which is great. You know, you just said that, like, you know, you got those are the things you got to do. But also, I feel like they miss out on those reckless years too. Of course. Which are fun and they're exciting. Yep. And there's, there's, there, you know, you have stories that 
you know, when you're 80 years old, you know, you can tell your grandkids or, or whatever it might be. Like you, you have those. So, I mean, like, I don't, I feel like there's not like a, like a, a middle ground there. It's like, <laughs> it's hard to achieve that. That's, that's probably like the, 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 you know, if you can figure that out, then you're golden, but. Well, because they never will, because they, such is our culture and our society that they grew up r- riding a bicycle with a helmet and I have never worn a helmet on a bicycle. So, you know, that was acceptable when I was a child. So my antics when I'm a musician is slightly different than someone today. They have everything at their fingertips. They have every piece of research detail. I mean, all you need to do is Google how to get a record deal or even have, even understand what an entertainment lawyer is. It's so simple to know everything. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're so polished because if you have the buffing compound here, the internet, and if you have some, you know, some uh, uh, steel wool on the other side being the band, I mean, it's, it's the perfect combo and it's all about selling product. I mean, they understand that they can easily be on iTunes. They can easily be on Spotify or Pandora. I mean, for God's sakes, those things weren't even existent when our first albums came out. I mean, we were lucky to be on Freddie's closet at 11 o'clock on, on, on the radio or they had like uh, some, something on Friday nights where you could call in and request your favorite, band and it was literally like syphilis, syphilis, syphilis. I mean, it, and it was not the same person. It was like thousands of people voting for the same song. No internet radio. It wasn't even, I don't even know what the internet was in that those days. Uh, no cell phones, no iTunes, no nothing. It was a CD and if you were played on the radio, holy shit, man. I mean, that was like that's next level, especially if you're a heavy metal band. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. one thing if you're like you know, Buck Cherry playing some song that they play all the time. But man, when it's like somebody that's aggressive and next level and not signed to a major label, I mean, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I miss those days. I think it's just a simpler time. And I say this a lot, but, you know, you mentioned Spotify and iTunes and things like that. Like, you know, add Netflix to that. Like, I feel like there's so much at our fingertips. Like, I spend more time looking for a movie to watch than I do watching the movie. Watching it. Because there's, there's just too much. Overexposure. And the same with music, dude. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't remember the last time I listened to an album uh, start to finish. I mean, well, yeah. first of all, they don't exist that way anymore. Uh, unless you're the Foo Fighters who just, you know, just dropped <laughs> something recently. But like, you know, you think about it, there's never going to be, uh, and you're a little older than me, but not by much. But I mean, there's never going to be another Foo Fighters or you know, Rolling Stones or Pearl Jam. I mean, those that's, that's never going to happen again. No, not at all. Which is Guys, let's pause it right here. I got to get my charger. Okay. Hang on one second. All right. We're good. It, you're charged up. Yeah. Sweet. But we we're talking about um, just so much going on with, you know, music and, and movies and Netflix mm-hmm. and Spotify, all that kind of stuff. Like it just, it just, uh, it's just too much. And I wonder, um, you know, they, they say kids these days, their attention spans aren't what they used to be or they're, they're, they're lacking or they're suffering. It's like, how could they not be? I mean, yeah. it's kind of scary, you know? Like, I mean, you could just boil it down to overexposure of everything. You're overexposed to too much food, too much television, too much music, too much screen time, too much everything. Every, every, everything is just to the max. 
Yeah. And there's no, no, there's no wonder why no one has an attention span. I mean, as a grown adult, I have no attention span. <laughs> I can't imagine what a child is like when their minds are so malleable that it's, um, I mean, this is the perfect time whether they're going to become focused or just a ball of shit. And it's just like, I mean, everything is just too much. Yeah, it's too much. Too much of everything. Um, over the top. You know, you, your phone is connected to you to the point where people wear a watch that is then connected to the phone, which is connected to their pocket for like, you know, you just constant connection to the next thing. And then you wonder why you're upset, depressed, can't think, can't, can't sleep, can't do anything, can't focus, can't. Uh, you know, as a craftsman and someone who has to be focused all in a business person, you know, I have to detach myself from a lot of connection. Right. There's just no need for people to have that much connection to me, period. I don't care how important I am. I don't or not important. It's just you got to leave me alone. And <laughs> music and TV and everything like that is the same thing. It will not leave you alone. It follows you around. It's in everything you do. It's cold outside. What are we going to do? Watch TV. You get in your car. Your car automatically turns on your Bluetooth, which turns on your music, which if I wasn't even paying attention to it, the music comes on. And sometimes it's a shitty song and sometimes it's a good song. So it just follows you. And, uh, you know, kids are, they're subjected to the worst end of it. I mean, yeah, but, you know, everyone has their... We didn't have any bike helmets. That was our problem in life, I guess. So the problem <laughs> is that they can't focus. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, you, you know, you did what you wanted to do in music. And then I feel like you kind of um, slid away from all that that stuff that, you know, connected you with, with what you had, right? Yep. And I feel like you kind of like hid yourself. And I'm not using that as a, a negative way, but hid yourself. Yep into your business yep. that you currently have now. Yep. And I remember when you opened the business, um, I'm not even going to try and guess the year, but I want to say like 07. 2000, uh, 2005, I started my business. <sighs> Damn it. So I bought this building and my current location where I'm at now, 2006. So okay. I started out early. Um, but I mean, I remember you there. Um, and I feel like and if I'm wrong, please obviously correct me, but like you, you, you started off and you, and you were kind of just doing, you weren't focusing really on like local, were you? So what we should do is back up to the whole premise of everything. Everything okay. is about um, being creative. So no matter if it, no matter if it's um, leather or music or cooking or just, basic art um it's all about being creative so when i was a musician my creative energy was pushed towards the creation of music and entertainment uh as a live performer what i took from that was the ability to sell myself as a person to have the confidence to do anything and to create songs and a product product being music that people liked and enjoyed and wanted to be a part of. My business started because of my need to create. 
I went to college. I graduated from school. I got a job in the field that I went to school for. I worked at it for a certain amount of time and it just was not for me. I needed to create again. And I was back to the point where the band was not, we were, we were still playing hard and we were still doing our thing, but I needed more of it. And so I had worked with leather my entire life and the ability to create a product, just like a song, uh, no matter what it was, a historical product or a handbag that I make today, it's still a tangible thing that I created, much like a song. So all I really did was take one, one thing and just roll it into the next thing. But the next thing was much more hidden than being on stage, you know, uh, firing up a crowd to pre- prepare for, you know, a show. Mosh pit. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's just, I went from that always up front thing to I'm back here now. I'm creating my own thing. And now I'm starting to come out of the shell again. And the brand is starting to take off a little bit more. So the idea is of, of you know, um, um, uh, showing myself as a, a, a designer. A craftsman, someone who does it all the time. I mean, there's a lot of times that I don't even touch a piece of leather all day for many days in a row because I'm a business person as well, too. So I'm juggling the creative aspect of how do I make my business um, uh, more scalable or how do I push it to the next level or how do I do better for my employees? And then I also have the other side of how am I going to design a bag that your wife wants? or your sister or somebody or, or a legion of people who buy my product. How, how do I create that? And uh, that's just all I've done is taken the creative aspect from one side to the other side. <laughs> Somehow I figured it out pretty, pretty yeah. well. <laughs> I mean, I think you've always been, you know, always done really well there. Um, and I, I guess what I was trying to get at was like, you, you kind of touched on it. You, you, you were doing stuff for you and, and but now you're doing you, you're much more, I guess, at the front, I guess you could say, and you're, you know, marketing the handbags and, and things that people, um, you know, use. And I don't think that you were always in that space. No, not at all. I mean, when I first started my business, you know, I've, I've always had a tremendous interest in um, American history, period. And my original interest in my leather working was um, historical reproduction work, right. which requires a tremendous amount of um, skill. Leatherworking skill, techniques, um, I mean, many, many things that are beyond the conversation of this, this interview that are dull and boring. But really, um, that's what drew me to leatherwork in the first place was the challenge of how do I do something that is the technique of someone who did it 150 years ago. The problem with that is, is that it's an obsolete piece of equipment or thing that very few people need. So your market is like, you know, or next to nothing. So there's no financial um, or business advancement in something where your market is so small that you have a hard time selling product. Hence, move into the modern thing. So, you know, I, I, I cut my chops on learning how to do these unbelievably complex techniques to move into the world of more design. And I'm not limited by materials. And I have 
so many more things that that are at my disposal you know fabrics and and leathers and buckles and rivets and thread that make people happy every day you know i mean people love to be a part of something that um is unique and interesting and you know the stuff is made right here in kingston you know i mean people love to pull out their wallet and be like yeah man like you're getting a group of people and five out of 10 people or, or nine out of 10 people all have a wallet that came from my shop. And they all appreciate the fact that they're a part of a club <laughs> that has one that got it and has it. And they it's made right here and they want to be a part of that. And that's the new realm of what we, you know, what I, what I do. And did you see yourself being where you are now when you first started? You know, Johnny, I got to tell you, I'm one of those kind of people that if I have a vision of where I'm going to be, I'm going to be there. And that's one of the things that was always a disappointment about music is that I had a vision of where I was going to be and I never got to be there. And it was uh, a good thing. And it was, um, uh, you know, it was just meant to be. And that I should, I should love the life that I have because that happened. And so if I see myself now, or if I saw myself five or 10 years ago as someone who um, is starting a brand, has started a brand, I mean, I've been in business for 16 years, doing something that's, you know, it's not like I'm inventing plugins for uh, the back end of a website or something that, you know, or, or some medical procedure. I mean, you know, we make leather goods and I sell them in Kingston, Pennsylvania every single day. Um, but I had a vision of where I wanted to be and by God, I, I put it into place and I have visions of where I'm going to be for the future and with what our business is and our model and the employees that I have and, and how many more employees I want to have and what I want to do for the greater good of the Wyoming Valley. And by God, I will make that happen because when I have a vision, it's just what it's meant to be. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I, I'm so happy that this area has someone like you and in, in your, your shop. And, you know, is it fair to say that, you know, with music, I think there's so many obstacles. I mean, even if you said, like, I want to be a musician that's, you know, on tour and all that kind of stuff. I mm-hmm. feel like it's much harder. Like, like, if you're a business owner and you and you're, you're making leather goods, I feel like you it, it, it's more feasible that you have more control over what happens every single day. Correct. As opposed to the music industry, where there's just so many different obstacles and and people trying to you know in your way or whatever it might be. I just I feel like where you are now, you have a vision and you're. I don't want to say it's an easier route because it's not. That's the wrong word, but it's something that you can control. Sure. Um, music, no matter which way you slice it, if you're going to make a profession of it, the end result of music is advertising. So let's break that down. So you hear a song and you like it. You're going to then go to the rock star, um, energy, um, rock fest or, or Oz fest, or you're going to go to some, I don't even know what festivals download festival or whatever it is right <laughs> and the core focus of that festival is advertising right it's radio ads it is 
you know, every freaking energy drink you could ever imagine plastered all over everything. It's Jägermeister. It's this, it's that, you know, when you're a musician, if you're going to be a radio musician, your only job is to sell more ads, period. I don't care how, which way you slice it. If you really break it down to why the existence of that band, you even heard of them is because they can sell advertising. Slayer does not sell advertising or very little advertising because they're not an advertising driven band, period. So to get into the world of music, you have to fit into one of those realms. If you cannot sell music, your career will not, or if you cannot sell advertising, your, your career will not last very long. The only thing you have to, to fall back on is you create happiness. You create happiness through your music that makes the audience happy that they have it and they appreciate it. Let's fast forward it to what I do now. I make a product that makes a customer instantly happy because it's quality. It's handcrafted by someone that they just met. And it's going to be envious of the people around them. I don't need to sell anything else except for that happiness factor. And music is one of those things that maybe a long time ago, it, it was all about being happy. But at some point, it changed direction. And it was about the advertising first, the happiness second. And that's what div just separates those key things. And... Uh, that's why it's so hard to break into the music business yeah. because you have to be able to sell. And if you can't sell, we'll find somebody who can, <laughs> <laughs> but you can sell. I mean, you're selling products now. Yeah, of course. Now I, I sell happiness. Yeah. Period. I mean, I'm talking, I mean, in the music industry, if you can't sell product by writing the right song or the right amount of albums to make their money back, we will find the next person who can. And yeah. the highways, loaded with stories of bands who fell by the wayside, probably even us at some point, you know, <laughs> but that's a good thing, right? Yeah, of course. So. I don't know if you've ever thought about music in that kind of pattern or not. Um, yes and no. I mean, music makes me happy. So, I mean, I consume it, um, in that way. Like I, I, for me, I mean, I, I don't like the mainstream stuff. And, and uh, so, like, yeah, I mean, it's different for me, but I mean, I, I absolutely understand what you're saying. You know, it's the, it's the Jonas Brothers of the world and Miley Cyrus and, and uh, I mean, you name it. I mean, I can't turn, be on the, anybody. turn on the radio, um, yeah. top, the top 40 station, you're going to hear what you're talking about. So. Even, even if it's not the radio. You're still getting bombarded by Bud Light ads when you go to see Lamb of God or the heaviest, you know, cannibal corpse. It doesn't matter what it is. You're still being bombarded by the advertising that put those bands on that stage that yeah. day that you saw. And yeah. again, it just goes back to advertising and, and you know, uh, the key difference between creating a product like I do now compared to compared to the music uh, compared to the music world. Do you hate advertising? No. Not at all. <laughs> I, I'm just, it's just, I know, a, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, advertising is, you know, it's a, it's a it's fundamental fun. fact of, of discovering what things are. I mean, yeah. who would know what dilly dilly is if it weren't for advertising or, you know, there's so many different things out there, but it is a, a crucial part of, uh, of the culture that we live in for sure. Yeah. 
So what's uh, what's the store for Duval next? I mean, I I feel like you really started marketing um, on a local level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you're talking about these handbags and purses and wallets and things like that. And I mean, is is that kind of your focus? Uh, kind of being more retail driven. Um, a little bit of everything. A little bit more manufacturing. Um, I hope to. Um, be one of those companies that's uh, extremely innovative and um, is a, a good employer, a good place that people want to work. Um, that's very important to me and uh, expand on that. And so uh, by expanding on that, that means that then my brand can expand because I have the manufacturing capabilities to make more product, uh, different product and, um, you know, go from there. I mean, we sell a tremendous amount of things online too. I mean, we ship product all over the country. Um, and then, uh, you know, our, our other manufacturing endeavors too are, are a big part of what we do besides the Duvall Leatherwork brand and, and our bags and, and things. But I always want to be, um, I always want to be that uh, the next thing that's just a little bit unique. It's something that you just can't go by everywhere and is instantly recognizable to people who want something that's nice and quality and makes them happy. Yeah. And I'm really happy you touched on just being an employer that, you know, people want to work for, because I think that's lost in a lot of uh, businesses these days. hundred percent. So those are things I would not be able to do as a musician. You know, my, I don't, I don't really, um, I'm not a well thought out, like, community driven person or like um i don't donate a bunch of my time to a lot of things but the mostly what i do donate a ton of my time to is making sure that my employees have a really good place to work i mean that's a full-time job is to be you know a, a good employer um on a personal level on a financial level on a just making sure that they have enough light to be able to see what they're doing and and do it efficiently and and, um, you know, as we move forward in, in the whatever's going to happen after um, this odd world that we live in now, you know, the whole American made thing, I know, is going to become even more important than it was before it was important, before it was cool to be important, before it was hip to be important. And I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for the challenge of, of American made every single day. That's what I do. Yeah. I love the fact that you said that and you're uh, sitting in front of an American flag. Yeah. Uh, 48 star flag. Um, I'm not sure. I, I have it on loan from a, a friend of mine, uh, his uh, wife's grandmother. I'm not sure where it came from, but a, a 48 star flag. So that would put it um, 1940, probably 1940s ish somewhere around that time. So Pretty cool little detail about the flag behind me. <laughs> you know, I didn't even notice that until you mentioned That's okay. It. You'd have to be counting the stars. And <laughs> no. <laughs> now you're looking. You're like, Lens, I am like, times <laughs> by six. <laughs> That's neat. But no, man, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, you know, I appreciate you doing this. And I, I just want to learn a little, little bit more about you. And, you know, I've known you for 16 years now, but we've never uh, talked uh, like this before. And I just kind of wanted to get to to know you a little bit better. 
um, you know, learn more about the bands and and just what, why and how you uh, got to where you are today. I mean, I just think, you know, I, I, you know, living here in NEPA, you always hear people complain about how shitty it is and there's nothing to do sure. or there's not this, that, the other thing. And I mean, there are places like you who exist. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a business like, and I'm not saying it because I work here now, but Axel Red Screen Printing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think Dave's is a lot like you and just your mentality and, you know, the way he treats his employees. It's like he wants it to be a place that people want to work. And I mean, I've, I knew him when he opened up down the street from you on Kingston yep. Corners. <laughs> and I, there's guys that worked there then that still work for him to this day. And yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other places that I t- are just slipping my mind right now, as far as, you know, local uh, owned businesses that just, you know, treat their employees right. And they want to see this area, you know, do well. And I mean, why wouldn't they, why, why shouldn't we as people who live here want this area to, to succeed? Yeah, of course. I mean, it, you can get into the politics of it. You can get into a million things, but bottom line is that people got to have good, good jobs. They got to have good, something that they're proud to do. They got to be, they got to be motivated. Um, it all turns to, to, to create product or services that, that people want to have, you know, you could move to the biggest metropolitan area in the world and, and try to start a small business and, um, you know, get lost in the transmutation of everything in life. But in a place like this, you know, if, if you have the will to just get up every day and grind it out, and be smart and use technology and don't let people in their stupid fucking bad opinions and negativity get to you. I mean, you'll, you'll, will be a rock star period. Yeah. I mean, you just get by that stupid stuff. You will be a rock star. And I think, yeah, you're right. Cause this area is you're, you're able to do that. Cause it's not a huge area. I mean, you, I, you know, some places that it just came to my mind, you know, just the the craft breweries that opened up the sm- the small brew pubs, like you know Breaker Brewing, and, and those are yep. I think add a lot of value to our area. Um, yeah, I just it, it's there's a lot of opportunity here if there are people willing to 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 take it. So you have to have those kind of leadership, you know, people that that, that they can look up to that that make something happen. That's not a politician. It's not you know, 16 generation family business or, or whatever. I mean, I moved here 21 years ago from Southern Pennsylvania. Um, and, and I've not left to this day. Uh, I can get on an airplane and fly wherever I want to and enjoy wonderful meals and culture and this and that, and come right back here and get back to work and have never missed a beat. So if you think any PA sucks, then get on an airplane and go somewhere and come back. I mean, it's a wonderful therapy, Yeah, you know, but You're it's right. the saying like the grass is only as green as where you water it or something like that. It's <laughs> yeah, so true. It's like you can only make, you know, you got to make the best of what you got. Yeah. Period. So, well, I wish the best of luck for you and thank you, Johnny work. And, and like I said, I'm happy and, 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 you know, honored that, you know, we have someone like you in this area to help us thank move you. forward. So that's very kind of you. I, I 100% never think of myself like that. <laughs> It's just day in, day out. So it's nice to hear someone say uh, something nice like that, that, uh, that they appreciate it. So I, I very much thank you for that. And that's, I'm not saying that just because I'm looking at you. I, I just, it's, it's really a great thing. And we need, we need people like you. Um, yeah. That's all there is to it. So uh, I'm going to keep so, on keeping on. Thank you.
So, <laughs> you're welcome. Well, I'll have to stop by and uh, purchase one of these wallets so I can be part of the part of the club. <clears throat> you should. We have lots and lots of them. We make many, many wallets every single day. So cool. That's a, that's and a thing. where can people find you uh, if they're listening or watching this uh, online? I, I mean, our we have a 100% e-commerce website that's been uh, up and functioning for. 15 plus years, uh, DuvalLeatherwork.com. You can easily Google search us uh, and find the and find the website, order any products, free U.S. shipping. Um, it, we really make it as easy as possible. If you live right down the street and you're hearing this, or if you're watching on Facebook and you live in somewhere local, I mean, we have a full retail store here in Kingston and we sell all of our products in. Sometimes we even have stuff that we don't offer online because it's our you know, unique lines of, of, um, things. And that is how you can purchase our products. We, uh, do not sell anywhere else. It is only through our two, um, outlets, the online awesome. outlet and our, uh, retail store. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Well, thank you again for doing this. It was a pleasure learning more about you and, um, hopefully I'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. See you, Johnny. See you.